0: Welcome to the Keen on Yoga podcast, bringing you the stories of many people who in various ways are attempting to walk the path of yoga. Our intention is to inspire your own practice and commitment to yoga beyond the mat and in all areas of life. We consider this an offering, a service to the community and labour of love. If you feel inclined, any donations are appreciated. Just visit our page and click the donate button at www.keenonyoga.co.uk forward slash podcast. I hope you enjoy the show. My guest on the Kino Yoga podcast today is Kathy Cooper. Kathy has practiced Ashtanga Yoga consistently since 1976. David Williams and Nancy Gilgraf were her primary teachers, and taught her all of the series and the Pranayama. She also studied with Patabi Joyce on many trips to the U.S. and in Mysore. Kathy feels the inherent wisdom of Ashtanga has led her on a transformative journey. Being present in the body in connection to the breath and bundas are the key to emotional, physical and wellness in the body and mind. She's explored Sufism, Shamanism and Vipassana meditation. She was also a teacher of the Montessori method in the UK. Her love of yoga keeps on the mat daily and supports her journey even up to today. Welcome to the Keelan Yoga podcast, Cathy. It's a pleasure. Pleasure to have you, Cathy. Um, so can you just give us a little bit of background about how you started, how you got into yoga? Um, yeah, something something basic. All
1: right. So uh I was living in Lake Tahoe and I was um I had three very powerful dreams over a period of a year to go to Hawaii, but they weren't like regular dreams. It was like I swam there. I just I knew nobody there. And so within about a year and a half, I went to Hawaii. And my mother had given me a book on yoga. Uh, she took up one yoga class and it was an Indian, it was an Indian book. And it seemed very foreign to me, but I tried a few things. Uh, so I got to Hawaii and was living on Maui in Lahaina. When was that? In 1975.
0: seventy five. Yeah. Yeah. So
1: that's what happens when you're
0: older. You know? Yeah, <laughs> I was thinking back. Thinking, oh, that's, that, that's, that's 45 years ago. Yeah. Ah, oh, crazy. Yeah, yeah. Right.
1: So I went there, and I was just open to being in Hawaii and the beauty of it, and it wasn't really developed yet. So yeah. there weren't a lot of hotels and things, and we'd go to Mr. Natural's health food store, and then I'd have to go to every single store to get enough ingredients to make a meal. Hmm. It was just another time in another world. And um, and I left to go back to my parents for a little while. And right before I left in California, I heard there was these yogis here. These yogis just came. So I came back in five months because I was just absolutely drawn to something about these yogis. It was like a call.
2: Mm-hmm. And
1: in that time, I know Danny Paradise and... Um, some other forest, I forget his last name, different people were practicing with David and Nancy. So I asked David, I saw him in the grocery store, and he said, well, we only start with one student at a time because we don't have a a shala. So eventually he took me on. I had to commit to a month. But Nancy taught me in the park outside in (laughs) Lahaina, and she started me with one salutation. Next day, two salutations. So she built it up slowly. And I remember I was doing Bhujapidasana and people are walking by, you know, going to the Pioneer Inn. And then Forrest had created a little um, kind of junk. I don't They were called wattle trees, this little frame and then plastic. Yeah, David's supposed to
2: talk about that. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Basically, like like if you weren't hot enough already, it was like a greenhouse. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, right. (laughs) But the, the David, um, David and Nancy had already been to Mysore by that time. So they told yeah. you that they told you a bit of the background, and you know, there's this guy in Mysore, and you know, this is where we're going, right?
1: Right. And they were very strict in class. Yeah. And this was one of the biggest teachings for me that I loved is no matter what, they were helping us, and all, there were no yoga mats in. So I had this stupid beach towel that was always in my way, or the dirt ground. And I always remember that no matter what was going on, we were to take the energy and turn it back in, not leak it out. We mm-hmm. didn't laugh. We just you know, if we needed help, we got help. they were there. But it was a it was a I would say, we just let go and did our practice, right? And mm-hmm. then at the end, we would rest in another little tiny plastic dwelling, and we were told never to speak. Right, and that we rested fifteen minutes, so I got a very good foundation.
2: Uh huh. I yeah. really did. Yeah. Because
1: that is a, that makes a huge difference if you're always looking to the teacher or you're, and because it was all my sort of style, there we, there was no such thing as lead class. How
0: time. many students were out at that time?
1: I think there were about um, there were about ten of us, and I believe I'm still in touch with a lot of them are still my really good friends.
0: And anyone do we know? Anyone we know?
1: Helena Berg. She lives on Maui. She uh, was one of the early students, Lynn uh, Hyman. used to be Lynn Burwald. Uh, Danny Paradise was there. Um, Forrest, who started it when I was teaching in Brazil, he got in touch with me. He was living in Brazil at that time. Then I heard his senses passed away. He had gotten a liver transplant many years ago. So... Some, oh, David, David Swenson replaced David and Nancy after four months. Yeah. And David Swenson was 19. He was like kind of wrote, he wasn't chubby in, because he ate a lot. He was still like a boy. Right. He had long blonde hair.
2: Yeah.
1: <laughs> and now he's so slim with his <sighs> oh, not he's, so much hair.
0: He was kind of chubby, was he?
1: Not chubby in a fat way, but like a boyish body. <laughs> Okay. So even though he was doing advanced yoga, I have a picture of him somewhere, but I can't oh, find it. He was climbing that. a All coconut right. tree, and oh. and he was so playful and so young. It was a very different energy from David and Nancy. Uh, in that, you know, he 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 brought David, he brought himself to the practice, but he was he was just such a great guy. So yeah. it was very fun. Was very and
2: then,
0: fun. and for people that don't know, this is David Williams and Nancy Gilgoff, and what um what is your, um, your take on, on David and Nancy? I mean, what did you think of them at the time? And, and you've, you've remained, have you, you've in contact with them or?
1: Well, we don't see each other much anymore, but yes, we periodically, we are. Mm-hmm. I, I haven't been on Maui for about three years. And David was away when I was there last time, though I'd contacted him and Nancy was there and I went to class one day. Mm-hmm.
2: It was, was very
1: nice to see her. But, um, I'll tell you that it was my first natural experience of having what I would call the guru, because it wasn't that he tried to put himself up on a a platform at all or up on a pedestal at all. It's just that I was so grateful every day to this practice. It was outside of anything of my experience. And I have to add this at the very beginning. It never worked for me to read about yoga. Right, Other than to read light on yoga to see something about a pose.
2: they
0: didn't they didn't suggest you, oh, go and read the Yoga Sutras or anything like that. then.
1: Well, they were doing whatever they were doing, but no, but I'll tell you what happened. I was having such a powerful inner awakening through the practice, if I would read something, it would conflict my mind to try and grasp after something, like, oh, this is what it's supposed to be. And it was I had such, a very unique experience with this practice for many, many years that I never, I, every time I tried to read something, it was just like imposing something on myself. So I didn't for a long time. And that was just how alive the practice was and how they, I got, they just
0: bought you it. And then they just left you alone to your own devices to kind of process it. Yeah. How you did, right? Well,
1: you know, it's funny. I read something in light on life. I read this little portion by Mr. Iyengar. Mm. He talked about, hey, we got the basics and that was it. And then it was up to us to develop it. And in a way, it's a great gift because I, for me personally, because I didn't have anything imposed on me. I learned the basic practice and we didn't get near the instruction. No alignment, nothing. And I sorted these things out in myself. And they've come to. I think that it's really important to have the balance of a wise yeah. alignment with mm-hmm.
0: the breath it's and the. I kind of wondered that. Like, what would, what does the instruction entail then? If it was,
1: entailed you you focus on your breath and the bundas.
0: But well, how did they actually teach? What did they actually well, do? They
1: showed you the pose.
0: Okay, and so we
1: didn't even it? have. You may have heard this before, but maybe from David, we didn't have very many vinyasas. We would do three of each salutation. Then we would do some standing. And several of the um, pravritas were not part of it at that mm-hmm. point. They got, they got added later. And I think Danny Paradise was the reason for one of them, because he was teaching us all one, and Gurji Guruji his own version.
0: Well, <laughs> um, Paravita Arsenal, right?
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: But um, so we would do all three Jonas Hirshasanas before we would do one vinyasa. We didn't do vinyasas between poses, nothing. So the way – and as soon as I knew first series by heart, they started me on second series.
2: yeah. Yeah. So
1: it, I love how I learned because then for two years, when David and Nancy left to go to India after four months, they said, "Okay, you come back here in two years." And
2: um, were they
0: adjusting you practice- the time? Or were they adjusting you, or you know? Because I know yes, David.
1: because like I would fall over in Marichasana D at the time if they didn't adjust me. Yes, yeah, so you got help. If you right. needed it, hands on, but very little verbal. Yeah,
0: it's not, I it mean, I he's not into being adjusting, you know, adjusting or being adjusted really. So I was wondering, oh, you know, no. right.
1: Well, so I was with David for a few years too. We did some, we helped each other in uh, different okay. ways. But so you yeah. know, that early on, they were very strong in their. Uh, everyone right. was strong in the adjustments early on. Yeah. I never liked that. But what was interesting about it, David and Nancy said, "You do first series one day, second series the next." You practice six days a week and you come back in two years and we'll begin teaching you advance. Now, this is the important thing. You may have heard this before, but I cannot tell you. It was before people phoned each other long distance, hardly at all. We wrote letters occasionally, but for two years, I went back. I went to Oregon and was going to college and I was practicing all the time. And in two years, I showed up back on Maui not having been in contact with any of the other people. And they had started teaching the week before at the Deva farm. And uh, we all showed up within a week of each other. All oh, of us, Yeah. Without ever having spoken to David and Nancy, right, without right. ever having, and that showed you it was very powerful.
0: <laughs> that must have been amazing. Yeah. To all come back like that. Yeah. Yeah.
1: We just believed them and, David also said what he meant and meant what he said. He never minced <laughs> words at the time. You know, he was Still not matter. a person yeah, of yeah. a lot of
0: conversation.
2: <laughs> yeah.
0: um, what about the handstands? Because obviously David Swenson's kind of famous for a lot of handstands in the early days with the practice. And I mean, were, were they? how was the practice taught to you? I mean, you said no janshi shasana uh, vinyasas. Were you encouraged in the handstanding or was there what differences well, did you
1: I was with David in that same little tent when I tried my first handstand. And the first one I did, I didn't have a good luck with it. So I didn't do it for some oh. time. But then, you know, you have, little by little, the vinyasa started to come in. But when we learned advanced, we learned it the old way, which mm. I, of course, love. Because it was a beautiful flowing dance without so many um, vinyasa's. But... Then everybody at the end of class there were two things we did because this was Maui. We were very far away. Plus, I think David and Nancy, a few people went to India. I had a little child at the time. It didn't seem like the appropriate thing what? to do for right. me to head out because it wasn't safe. Then people would get sick. Yeah. So I didn't go with her. <clears throat> but uh, the, at the end of class, you'd go into a handstand and they'd walk you around the room holding your feet so we used to walk all around the room at the end of the class
0: i don't and, that was their only uh, appendage to it was
2: it
1: yeah and also i'm not sure if this started there or not but some people i i never got into this some people would do uh would uh, 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 be doing navasana and then go up into handstand and then come back and do the next five breaths of navasana go into handstand it yeah, was around yeah. so i'm not sure if it started there but that was one of the things i didn't pick up i didn't go i didn't go that route um it it didn't attract me at the time as much so i just kept on practicing then when we were at the Deva farm david taught us while well, he did his own practice how to teach the students uh-huh uh and then he taught us advanced. And he had a different helper, Leah, Leah Johnson. And then Nancy learned with us. So she was she had had a little exposure to advanced, but she actually learned the advanced with
0: us. Right. So she's learning it from David, essentially. Who, yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And this is, and when you practice the advanced series and you mention it, you always practice the, the old way it was taught when the series, the advanced series were one series, right? One kind of advanced day. Yeah. Yes. Yeah.
1: And um, yes, I loved that series. It was just magical. And again, it was great we didn't do that many vinyasas because we were doing one amazing pose after another. That was the I think I never felt so strong or so clear. Um it was like a total love affair, that series. And so when I try doing it the way they do third series now, it feels very chopped up to
2: me to tell right, right, the truth. Right.
1: It's interesting. I'm not judging it. I'm just saying.
0: It it's felt very confusing different. to me to see it the other way, because I've taught. One time we hosted Nancy and she got sick and I had to teach the students and I was so confused at what they were doing. You know, <laughs> I didn't know where whereabouts they were in the practice. <laughs> like,
1: you know, I heard she teaches it the old way.
0: Yeah, actually. she sure teaches it the old way. I, just, I couldn't get grips with it. So when you went to Mysore and you finally went to Mysore, I mean, were you recommended? What was, did you think of it? What were your experiences there?
1: Well, I had met Guruji had come to Hawaii in oh. 1980 for two months.
0: Right, And this we did advance with him yeah. for two months. Right. You'd already met yeah.
2: yeah. So
1: I met him, and he came quite a few times. I did. I was a late goer to Mysore. Was not my connection to the practice. Mm-hmm. I learned it all before I met Guruji. Mm. And he was very important to me there. And I had experiences with him that I recognized that he definitely was the master asana teacher. That he wasn't my be-all and end-all spiritually.
0: Mm. I had my own
1: inner path.
0: Why why did you say he was the master asana teacher?
1: Because he was the one who came and shared it with us. And he was very precise. That's when we started doing standing vinyasas between the poses and then jumping back in between each side. And um, well, I'll tell you what, I'll tell you one little experience. We're in a room of like 50 or a hundred people or something. And he's, I think we were doing, oh, what were we doing? We were just doing a standing pose. And all of a sudden my left side started twitching. Now you couldn't see it. And I just noted, gee, I wonder what that is. Guruji came over in the middle of that room, put his hand right there, Mm. kept talking, and then went away. Hmm. It was unbelievable because there was nothing to witness. There was nothing to see.
2: Right. Mm -hmm. And
1: then he just walked over from the middle. I wasn't doing anything to call any attention. There was Mm. nothing outer about the experience. Mm. So he went away. I was like, huh. Who is this person that was so tuned in? You know, mm. I mean, that's so that was my first big role. Mm.
2: Mm. And for
1: some reason, and, and this is no disrespect to Guruji, no matter how many times I tried to give it away, by to look up to someone and put them on a pedestal, life always brought me back to my inner self. It just didn't, it doesn't mean that I didn't respect them, but I could never give it up
2: to them. Mm right even
1: though i had great respect for him as a teacher i i just need to say that because i tried and it just didn't work for me and that is and now i think i'm very grateful for that but at the time it it felt like how come all these people give it up to the guru and they're the ones that are going to lead them and and it just no matter how, how it worked it just always brought me back inside to listen inside so there you have it.
0: <laughs> what about? I mean, have your feelings in the light of more recent, um, you know, situation with Batabi Joyce changed at all? I mean, in terms of how you, I'll tell you what. Now, I mean, I
1: think it's very, very sad mm. the way that it was handled for me personally.
0: I mean, you're still the referring one, to I mean, him as Guruji, for example.
1: Yes. No. Yeah. yeah he he gave so much benefit. Mm. So he wasn't just some dirty old man, and I was, I. I never could understand it but I felt early on uh, the first time we were with him I, I don't know if I want you to say this or not on the, I don't know if I want you to edit this or not but okay. there were a couple of women who were very promiscuous right and each of them in around Maui at the time and it was right. kind of you know it was the 80s mm-hmm. late 70s 80s mm-hmm. and both of them said that he touched them uh not a big deal but touched them inappropriately and we think of all the people to say that, you're the most, to us, they were the most right. inappropriate <laughs> touching. They were free, you know. So we'd go, really? Huh. And so then, and also Gurji helped women and men the same. And sometimes it seemed like a little um, intimate where they would touch the women, but it's the way he did with the men. And so I decided that he just wasn't even going there at all. I mean, it wasn't anything. With, it mm. wasn't like copying a feel. It was just assisting in the most efficient way in right. the practice. That's how mm. it felt to me. And, and then you, had, we used to
0: you had experience of the adjustments yourself? No. no.
1: Not, right. not once. Not okay. in all the years that he helped me. But, you know, I don't know what to... So I can't exactly mm. say that. But we used to discuss this and we'd say, well, I don't think emotionally they do emotional work in that part of the world. And maybe he doesn't even relate to it and the people that would say that he adjusted them in somewhat of an intimate way but in front of everyone mind you
2: mm, right. he uh
1: they would say but he didn't feel sexual at all it was just an adjustment and david swanson a few years ago said well one thing we know whatever he did he did it in front of everyone <laughs> so i don't know if his years went on um i don't know anything about that, but he Mm -hmm. never was that way with me. And again, I think he gave so much to so many people, you know, of this beautiful path that I felt that just to throw him out the window that he and make him totally bad was really narrow mindedness. I really felt that's how I feel. So, and I don't approve of people, you know, taking advantage of people. It's none of that.
2: Mm -mm.
1: And I could even go on and say more, but I don't think it's that useful to go on about the whole
0: thing. (laughs) It's useful to hear your opinions and your experience of it, for sure, yeah. Because everyone has a slightly different take. And, and, you know, it's a practice defined by Bisabi Joyce, you know, in, in many respects, right? And he certainly, when I started, was very much venerated as something more than just a teacher you know indeed a guru so
2: that's what
1: people gave to him i never (laughs) felt like he demanded that of people
0: no i mean he's famous for saying i'm not guru you know like um, no but
1: i really believed him in that i really believed him but i will say this and this is part of being a human being why would you take abuse from someone repeatedly for five years hello what (laughs) where is your responsibility i'm sorry but that's what comes back to me there you have it that's yeah. it i've said <laughs> <done> it all
0: <laughs> you've said it now <laughs> and moving on from that i mean how did you okay. start how do you start teaching like where did you where did you get into the teaching of it and, well, and you, this is, know, you were yeah. a teacher of yoga but you were also a school teacher as well right
1: yes i taught in the waldorf system and yeah. the steiner system yeah but that isn't there it was a mixture of things i had opportunities that i did not take early on and this is the main reason. I loved my practice and everybody I saw who got teaching compromised their practice.
2: Right. Mm -hmm. And I
1: didn't want to, I Mm -hmm. loved my practice. I learned from my practice. It was like digging a deep hole in the same place for years and years and years. And I think everybody's out teaching. Why am I not out teaching? I'd go, I'm not ready. Now, what does that mean? I could teach the asanas. No problem. And early on in Maui, I did teach a few students and uh, then David Williams and I became a couple for a few years and we taught together. So I did teach early on and then, but at that time we teach and then we would practice afterwards. We never, and then we do pranayama and then we never ate until noon every day. And we ate between noon and sunset and then we didn't eat after that. So we had this, our whole lives were dedicated to
0: that so you did eat until midday nothing right and nothing
1: pray. because he i he would drink coffee in the morning i couldn't drink coffee i couldn't mm. have any caffeine for many many years so i would just get up and then the students came i don't think they even came till 8 30 they we finished with them about 10 and then we practiced took rest did pranayama and then we would eat I, so that was the rhythm we were in mm. and that was on maui where it's warm so it was easy not to eat and we taught at the same place we lived so all of it was you know very convenient mm-hmm. so yeah
0: what kind of a, what kind of diet like were you having at that time what was indian.
1: the we made indian food right. every <laughs> night right,
2: right,
1: yeah. i i got great at chapatis it's amazing <laughs> and um we also ate like fresh papayas and made seed yogurt basically we were vegan even though we didn't talk about it, we there was this book out called Diet for the Twenty or something for the twenty first century, and it was a lot of very uh, clean, simple kind of Ann Wigmore uh,
2: wheatgrass mm.
1: juice. So we would we'd have wheatgrass juicers, and so and we never ate in the evening. The only dessert we had for years, Haagen made a honey vanilla ice cream. And a um, well, no, that's not true. But the only one commercial was they made a carob, honey carob and a honey vanilla ice cream. But we used David loved dessert. So we would have dessertitarian potlucks where everyone would make these raw pies. You know, everything was super natural. Right. I used to make this carob pie with tofu yeah and, yeah you know, it, i mean we used to That's, we really ate God. that before like it early da-
0: yeah like super early days for that kind of thing right like people are yeah, just, we were like, just making it all just, up just getting into that now you know
1: i know it's so interesting to me i did that so long ago it was yeah, just yeah interesting so um, how,
0: so what are you doing now how did you move how do, <laughs> how have you moved on and let, let me uh, just ask you about your teaching first of all, and go back to that. Okay. So you started teaching, and uh, later on, you how, how did that progress? Yeah.
1: So what happened is when I left Hawaii, um, I went to England for two years and became yeah. a Waldorf teacher, a right. Steiner teacher in uh, Forest Row in East Sussex.
0: I was going to say somewhere around Brighton. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. Okay. And
2: I
1: because there, so I had more than one side to myself and one thing my daughter went to the Waldorf school in Haleakala and it just stirred my soul. So I ended up going a few years later and I taught oh I did teach yoga there. I Go did ahead. teach yoga to eventually they asked me to students asked me to teach. And you know even when the Buddhist teacher was telling me yoga was bad and Steiner was an in India yoga and I thought they don't know what they're talking about. They're just very much into dogma. I don't believe that that was even true, but I didn't ever buy into it. So I was doing my own practice there just consistently. It's just the way it was a little bit of teaching, but mostly I was, I really got into studying Steiner. And if you know anything about him, he was incredibly deep, Mm. (laughs) incredibly deep. There was not a, you couldn't just read Rudolf Steiner. You had to study him. So yeah, I did that for a few years and I never bought into anybody's telling me, like people would come up to me, and they knew nothing and they say, you can't do yoga and be on this path. And even the head of the school in America that I interviewed with before I decided to go to England, he said, they don't mix. And I never bought it. I but just the, thought, well, you don't know what you're talking about.
0: <laughs> you continue practicing Ashtanga all the time. Yeah. Yeah. and, and, but. I mean, it's strange to people today that I'm just going to point out the fact that you went for a couple years at least and just did your own practice with no teaching, right?
1: But you have to understand, until it became more popular as years went on for some students to go and be with Guruji. But I had to earn a living and I had a child and I loved Guruji, but it wasn't practical for me and I didn't feel any need. And others uh, like Lynn and Helena who still live on Maui. They've been practicing on their own for years. We didn't used to go to workshops. Mm. The I way suppose pointing they
0: they out the discrepancy between, you know, kind of like people say, well, how would you practice just on your own for years and keep it well, up?
1: Think about what you develop. You develop your own practice. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but yeah, I mean, how? I mean, also, when you talk about developing it, and you know, we had a little conversation before, and I, you know, we we're talking about kind of going into it and processing and not wanting to read about it or have someone else tell you what it was, can you say more about how the physical practice did something other than
2: okay. just make yes. it
0: fit, you know, and more put your yes. finger on something in there? Because it's, well, it's often kind of well, nebulous, right? Or it does something.
1: Well, here's the thing. Yeah. Here's, I used to do rebirthing before I started yoga. Oh. Do you know what rebirthing is?
0: Yeah, really kind of going into past lives and stuff right?
1: No, it's a type of breathing technique
0: where you hyperventilate. Oh, I thought you were doing that more recently as well, I saw. Well, uh, what I'm
1: saying is years ago I did this practice. Or maybe I started, after I started the yoga was my first practices. And I always went very deep. Part of it is you release your breath and you do not breathe. You are breathed by the universe and it's very calm after you have a deep release of something. I told you I did a lot of other things along the way. So, mm. so, I even on Maui, I was doing this. And then one day after practice, I had the same experience where my breath, I was in Shavas and my breath released and I didn't have to breathe. And I don't know how long it was, but I literally was being breathed by the universe. And David said to me, He goes, Kathy, that's the end of yoga when you have that experience. I was like, Wow. But I, then, even then, I didn't go to try and read about it. So, I'm telling you, my. My journey it with Ashtanga yoga was very, very spiritual and very powerful and very deep. And I didn't need anybody to help me stay on board to direct me. I did I always felt that I did it differently, that my goal was, if I'm gonna use the word goal, yeah. was different than people around me who were having they do yoga and go get together and all hang out and eat, you know, yummy food, but still, yeah. you know. And I thought, nah, I'm not doing this practice for that reason. I'm doing this practice. I, I'm really digging into who am I? Right. What is it? And I'm not saying they weren't.
2: Mm-hmm. I'm just
1: saying my path of doing it was mm-hmm. a very unique path that I could not have told you why it was. I couldn't have made up that I knew what, how I was directing myself.
0: What were your experiences of this then? Or this experience of kind of getting, developing your knowledge of yourself? And, you know, I mean, how did that kind of fructify?
1: A lo- I think for years it was I saw who I was not.
0: Right. Okay.
1: And and every, so I could come into a practice, even though my I, my whole life really was directed around yoga, but I could come into practice and maybe I could feel constricted. This is who I am. By the end of practice, I was connected to everything again.
2: Mm -hmm. You know
1: what I mean? That openness, that connection to all of life, as opposed to, here I am, this is me. And I over and over and over again, and I was always, I felt like I received teachings inwardly for years and years, even now. I say even now. um, I feel that way, that occasionally something will come in, I'll be like, Wow, that's interesting. But so let's say physically, I would be holding, you know, so I, we were taught to hold our big toe in a lot of poses. Then uh, after a while, you would hold your wrist because you were flexible, right? So you could I go deeper. But it, what I found out, and when you actually hold the big toe and you do it the way you're taught oh.
2: initially, yeah.
1: there is something – that is happening there. That's not the same as when you wrap your hands and grip your wrist.
0: So what, like in, your foot. in what posture?
1: So let well, I could say in any of the forward bends.
0: You're holding the big toe.
1: I could hold my big toe. I did this for years because oh. I was experimenting, so and
0: right, then a. You'd hold the big toe with both
2: yeah, both hands. Yeah. Both hands.
1: I'd hold the big toe with my right hand, and then I might hold by the instep of my foot, or I'd hold
2: both. OK, but
1: here's uh, what I found out years later. I did this energy work called Jin Shin Jisoo, which yeah. is a touch for health. The big toe is where the in-breath and the out-breath change. So it's very powerful. I mean, it's like, wow. So there was a lot to that big toe going on. So I would experiment for a long time or I'd notice, gee, the position of my foot, if it's truly parallel in front of me, you know,
2: yeah. If, yeah, not yeah. parallel,
1: but I mean, if it's truly, yeah, parallel to me in front yeah. of me,
2: yeah,
1: then my back opened correctly. Now I'm telling you, I had these kinds of, I received these kind of teachings for years and years and years, and it's, um, it guided my path. And then when I would teach, I used to teach for Nancy sometimes when she'd go uh, traveling. with so another phase of my life on Maui. And I'd start adding little things in. But, you know, the foundation of focusing on the breath and bandhas never left me. And I realized a lot of people are breathing and they're not breathing connected to their bundus.
2: Mm-hmm. And even
1: though they pre- seem to be breathing deeply, a lot of times it's just automatic breath.
0: So what's breathing connected to bundus?
1: So for me, breathing connected to the bundes is, is that I'm always aware of this connection in my physical center. And it does refine over time, but I'm going to just say that it is um, it's it's a muscular engagement. I'm going to say that for now without getting into any more subtlety than that. And when I do, the second I do that no, today, yesterday, when I practice it, my breath deepens. And it comes from a different place than it's just plain connected. And I have, I've experienced this for years where I go and, and it's like renew. It's like, it's like beginner's mind, period. I really get what that means to have beginner's mind. It, you know, it's not an analyzing. It's not any of that. But so many people, they're just breathing out of their belly. And here they are doing great yoga. Because really, it's not that there isn't any movement there. Because the whole diaphragm, everything's moving. But it's not so much there. It's much—it's like you wanted that prana to really fill. And a lot of people can be very dead right here. And they're doing yoga for a long time. They seem to have a powerful practice. But they're not getting the prana up into this area and this transforms the heart you start opening up the heart the practice itself does but the breath is so powerful so these are the kinds of things that for years i was having my own inner journey
2: Mm -hmm. about right
1: and and that i think when i started to actually be after teaching in sri lanka i started to become more known and invited It's only mattered to me. And of course I need to make a living, but it only mattered to me if it was useful to people. I do not want to try and be out there promoting myself. People say, you do not promote yourself. And I said, I just don't relate to it. I just, I want to give something if there is something that is recognized to be valuable. Mm -hmm. Otherwise I'm just one more person. And there's a lot of younger teachers now who are teaching, um, you know, much more, uh, focus on the asanas and their, you know, yeah. and their yeah, yeah, yeah. the prime. So I'm not offering any of that.
0: What know? do you reckon, like, characterizes your teaching then or your style of teaching as opposed to a younger, you know, teacher?
1: I can't compare myself to the younger teacher, but I would say that I move from the inner. And it also, I've been studying posture, which is coming from a different tradition that has been very powerful and has also brought together a lot of my recognition over the years of how you, we want to do both like, um, and that I give a lot of these basic foundations and you don't hurt yourself when you do this. I have had uh, very little injury. And by that, I mean just from doing something unconsciously or pushing myself too far because along the way, It's been important to me. I watch my diet. Oh, this isn't working. What's going on here? How do I, how do I work with this without forcing? How do I, how do I allow? Years ago on Maui, people who were very affronted by Ashtanga Yoga because it was so physical and so different from what a lot of people thought spirituality was, that people would say to me, they just bring this to me. I I'm not patting myself. On the back to say this but they say, oh I could do yoga the way you do it because I kept opening to allow to see what was there instead of pushing to get somewhere. it's a totally different place to come from even if ultimately it seems like you're doing the same thing.
0: does it look like the same thing or or did you physically well, do it
1: I had a beautiful practice for a long time so and I could do it. I could do it and I didn't force it and I didn't injure myself to do it Mm. that's the main thing i want to say it wasn't like i had to break my body apart in order to do this it's just i i also felt too and nowadays this is one of my big teachings i feel like i had a that i really had a mystical teaching come to me if you are not resting you are not integrating your practice you're not releasing your nervous system you just pop up after a few minutes and on you go you're still on. You are going to burn yourself out. You are going to hurt yourself. So that's one of my big teachings, because I I learned that so you have to really, truly let go. And Guruji said one time, many people not doing shavasana. Mm-hmm. Shavasana, very advanced pose, and I really knew what he was talking about. So
0: it's true. Yeah, I mean, and it's it's hard sometimes to do it for a period of time, but yeah, it's very much neglected. Oh,
1: it's much harder to do that than to be active but if you don't have the balance
0: but after you if you do then rest in it for five minutes then it's hard to get up again that's what i found
1: that's okay because then you're spaced out you're open you're soft and then there you get going that's what i'm saying that's why i did not teach for many years because i saw how many people who taught gave it over to the teaching and their own practice suffered when you're really young, you can get away with anything, but it doesn't work. And for some reason, I don't know why, I've been, um, I just had this inner guidance. I don't even know how to say it. Nothing else in my life has been like this. Yeah, I've had to find my way in many other ways that haven't been so um, connected like this. But, you know, Mark Roberts, I met him last year. In Bali at this confluence. And one thing he got very excited about in meeting me, which was very touching, was that I was healthy. I was an older Ashtanga who had a good practice and I was healthy. Instead of having drunk a lot of coffee to show up, I'm not judging anyone. I don't know what anybody else does. I'm not around. But I'm just saying that he got really excited. And that was very
0: touching to me. I think he spoke (laughs) in the podcast about how he felt that looking at a lot of the old Rashtangas, uh, kind of how how are they gone, that you know, he felt like maybe it wasn't the best for physical health all the time. You know, and the way or a certain right. way a certain way of practicing it maybe, you know, that's his justification for right. anyway.
1: No, I, I agree completely. And again, I was always drawn to do that.
0: How would you say that you practice differently for for listeners? than just simply pushing yourself or, you know, I mean, is there anything that you could say a quality or a way of doing something or, you know, just to give a kind of,
1: okay. example so, or, you know? So in Sri Lanka, when I was teaching, I would get up, roll out of bed and end up on my mat, which was my room was right next door to the shala. And there were very occasionally I would almost not sleep all night for no good reason. Mostly I slept fine, but every now and then I would get up and I go, okay. I'll stand at the front of my mat and I'm going to see what's going to happen. I didn't know if I had it. And what happened, because it wouldn't go on for nights on end, is this energy would start coming up in me. I go, oh, okay, I can do more. Okay. And then I would just flow on the energy. I feel like that's what I've done. For I, you might say that I feel like early on, I worked out of my muscles. And then as time went on, I felt like I worked out of my organs. Then as time went on, I feel like I'm moved by the prana. That's If I would try and articulate it, that's what I would say. Mm-hmm. So the energy would just start arising. Then I could end up doing, having a great practice, have my good 15-minute rest, take a shower and teach, even if later in the day I took a nap or something. You know what I'm saying, whatever I needed to do. Mm-hmm. But that's what I mean. What's here? What's, what's going to happen? Not, okay, I've got to get through this because yeah. then I'm going to... Yeah. Because that's the opposite of what I'm actually ha- what's happening. That's the opposite of what I'm not only wanting to accomplish, but what what is real to me.
0: So. And what what would you say you've accomplished, and what does progress mean for you now? I mean, you know, you started in seventy five. You're now over seventy years old, I believe like how does it look now for you what do you do now okay. um, what, yeah. so
1: what i do now every now and then i do a few advanced poses but right. i mostly don't do advanced poses anymore what right. i do now is uh and since the i i want to add one i do first series occasionally i do second series but since uh the covid happened and i was in ohio and stuff i started doing things i'd never done which is i do part of first and then i do part of second then the next day I might start with some of second and then do finish some of first and then do my pranayama and you know what I've had a lot of fun with it and it seemed it just felt like that's what I wanted to do and years ago Guruji said when you mastered this and again you have to understand that I'm not doing all the asanas anymore Mm. I do all first and second but I mean Mm. I'm not doing all of the you know, advanced asanas or anything, but he would say you would choose some poses and then do yeah. them for fifty breaths. Right. Well, I don't do that. But what I do is I know when I'm copping out of myself. I know, so I know now what I can do. And sometimes it's just fun to combine them. Mm. And you know, and it's still efficient amount of time. I'm not going to practice. I don't feel the longing or the need to practice for two hours. Right. I have a great practice that's very efficient in about an hour. And um, it always feels good, you know. It, so whatever I do, it you, it ends up to be about an hour. Then I take rest. And then I'm doing a different pranayama than the Ashtanga pranayama right. now.
0: Yeah. And what's, a, what's an efficient practice look for?
2: No, more it your... means
1: I don't waste breaths.
2: Okay. Hmm.
1: I... I can do these poses, and you know it's not. I did have a compression in my back from lifting a heavy pot. I love to garden, and I've always been so strong. And when, and I did compress my back, so for a few years when I would get to Kaputasana, That's- I had to yeah. adjust. Yeah. But I'll tell you what, I never assumed that I couldn't do it. I've just every day show up and see what I can do, mm. and I'm actually quite pleased with how it's going. So other than that. Yeah. I just go along, I make sure I'm staying in my breath, and I do my practice and flow along. And some days um, are more wonderful than others, meaning that I flow with it in a way that is just really rewarding. And other times I yeah. now don't always feel that, but I still do it and I
0: still receive. So carry on. Absolutely. about the prana, though, is if the prana isn't flying, wouldn't you just then honor that and stop just to play devil's advocate? No,
1: because sometimes I have to – it takes me a while to figure out what is – it's not that the prana – it's just not pure freedom as opposed to pure freedom. It's not like I'm not breathing and I'm not moving. So absolutely. So one thing that has happened in this past year that I've seen that – I, people have said to me, how have you changed your practice? And I, I said, you know, honestly, I still practice the way I've always practiced. And basically I do, but I can see it's not that I'm not capable of doing something, but I can see that. How do I say I'm feeling my age without putting it in a negative way? It's not like I'm getting stiff or that I can't do it might be that some days I have as much energy as I've ever had, and some days I don't have as much energy. Right. And if I want to do other things because I garden a lot and
2: mm-hmm. I'm
1: cooking and I'm running, yeah, right. then I'll go, okay, I don't want to give all of myself yeah. to this because then all I can do is take a nap this afternoon, and, <laughs> whereas I never had that.
0: Yeah. So I was, And it's
1: not all the time, but it is sometimes.
0: So. What about mixing it up? What's your reason? I mean, because obviously, I mean, did Patavi Joyce – Recommend that ultimately you mix it up, or I mean, what? Yeah,
1: yeah. And if I wanted to, that's where sometimes, um, no, I would just say because, like, I enjoy doing both, and I'm not going to do both all in one day. I never did. See, this is another thing. I I just want to make one comment about this. It's going back, but it's Mm. it relates obviously to the whole. The way I learned was um, all of first series, and then I added on some second series poses. But at a certain point, I split the practice: did primary mm. one day, second the next. And we learned. I learned all of second within a few months, I think, even though I still had to perfect it, because that's what a practice is. So we, I never had the intimidation of you can't go on until you get this next
2: right. I think
1: it's complete malarkey personally. So.
0: Yeah, I was going to ask you how how do you feel that the how, how has the presentation of the teaching changed since you started?
1: A very different, you know. Is it's it? very different. And so what it does is somebody can have a beautiful practice and for whatever reason they have trouble doing a pose. And it mm. could it could be not because maybe they're kind of big and they can't bind, but it could be because their mind has gotten intimidated by this doing Pinchamaya or something. So here they do a gorgeous practice. So what I'd say is, okay, well, every day show up with this pose. See, we never did long, like, okay, work with this pose for 10 minutes. Right. We do it, we're never attached to it, and we moved on. So that lack of attachment to a pose was a gift to me. And then every day you keep working with it, and you find what it is because that's what the practice is. That's the practice not to stop because you don't have it perfectly. So I never agreed with that for a second. And am so utterly grateful at the way that I learned about that. But what I wanted to say is I only do one series at a time. I might have more energy even, but it's one thing to be in my story. You don't have anything else to do all
2: day. Yeah, Yeah, It's
1: another thing to be in life. And if you feel... That you have to do it I, I was in brazil some years ago and one of my the teachers that invited me down there she was doing advanced at the end of first and second and she said i'm just hating my practice and i said hey you don't have to do all that you're not in mysore you're working you're you have a shala you're doing all this so you know i'd say if you don't have that much advanced then do up to second up to pentamara and then Go over and do that. And then she was loving her practice again. So you you can't take home and do what you've been doing in Mysore without falling apart. Was
0: it always originally that rigid in Mysore, even?
2: No. Mm.
1: No, it wasn't because Guruji years ago just taught Mysore. And then as the student population grew to such a degree, they started doing the lead classes regularly because they could move everybody through quicker, you know? Yeah.
2: Yeah. So,
1: and then somewhere, I know Sherat came along. I mean, Sherat was just a little guy. Like, I don't even know if he was born when I started. (laughs) I don't
0: know
2: what year he was born. He was,
0: he was born, but he was pretty, he would have been pretty young.
2: Yeah. Yeah, And he he, and Shami used
1: to run in and out of the Shala. Yeah. So it was play, but, um, You know, Guruji said he always taught the way he always taught the same. But I wasn't there then. So this is hearsay. But I heard if he saw once you got to Navasana, when he was actually teaching just the 12 students in his shala, where he was really teaching, he'd say they needed something and he'd give them some different poses. Hmm. So he did work a little bit with what people needed as they unlocked and opened up. And then once they were in the big shala, all of that went out the window.
0: Yeah, that's just logistics, isn't it? I mean, the thing is, the tradition has become something which is held so sacrosanctly, you know, as as an idea that it's always been the same. But, you know, in talking to all the older teachers, it kind of comes out that it has changed.
1: Well, yeah. And you hear things like, yeah, those banana leaves sure did change over the years because <laughs> this man... BNS Iyengar was one of yeah. um, Krishnamacharya's students, and he taught students the way I initially yes. learned. <laughs>
0: the banana leaves, I see, I see, yeah. yeah. <laughs> what, what so did it be-
1: did change the order of it changed. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, the yeah, yeah. changed.
0: Well, how was your attitude in the early days, uh, uh, as as people obviously you were teaching, and you know, pretty pretty early on, right? How do you see your attitudes to the practice and teaching is different to someone getting into it now that's teaching or the attitude you see currently? I mean, you know, I think it's, yeah, sorry, go on.
1: No, all I was going to say, what really offended me, and this was a a while ago, it felt very Nazi like, I know Nazi is not the right word, but very militaristic. This is what you do. Mm -hmm. And it was like, What? Who are you anyway? You know, it's not here like it's only done this way and don't do it this way. And it was like, yeah, it felt like, again, a big imposition. And, you know, I was I taught in the Netherlands. Amsterdam a long time ago, and I wasn't at the the main shala. I taught somebody invited me that I met in in, um, Sri Lanka and all these students who came had been former ashtanga students. They were not all practicing it. And all of them loved my teaching. And they said it was just it was just so uh rigid and um
0: the way that they've been taught, not your teaching the way they yeah. were teaching now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, So
1: this was more than ten this was around ten years ago. So I I'm not really up right now on how all of the
0: um it's it's probably more rigid than ever, yeah. Yeah, and you know, from from on high, let's say, yeah. Um
1: yeah. but and I'm sorry for that because I feel like
0: isn't it, it becomes just a
1: control thing, you know.
0: You old hippies would never would have taken that.
1: <laughs> never would. <laughs> like Mr. But, Iyengar, I would never have fallen in love with this practice if I had been uh if I had been introduced to this through Iyengar. Never. If I would never have fallen in love with this
0: practice. If you hadn't been introduced to it through Iyengar?
1: No. I would if Iyengar had been my introduction to this to yoga, okay, I he, never would right. have had a love it was affair. A
0: bit tougher, right. So you felt Batabi George was a bit softer than than you
1: know. No, it's not softer. Yeah. It was just relevant and it wasn't below he um Mr. Iyengar was very, very controlling. He was very uh very right. tough.
2: Yeah, yeah. And
1: um, the people that I met, none of them did. They might have done intrinsic breathing, but none of them could breathe. They were the most unempowered group of people I ever came across. And, you know, I even did a training one time. My girlfriend convinced me to do a training with a big Iyengar teacher. I didn't even want to. And he and I got into it a little bit. And I said, hey, if I'm not welcome here, he goes, you can stay if you want or I'll give your money back. So my friend needed a ride. So I ended up enduring the week. But we breathed while we were doing what he taught us. These students were like moaning and groaning. And it was just like so absurd to me. I thought it was absurd. I really did. I thought, this is the most unempowered group of people. And they're always asking for the teacher to, you know. So anyway.
0: Kind of my experience with it. Yeah. Yeah. Um Yeah. what does a yoga lifestyle look for you now? Look it look like for you now, sorry. Um you know, in your, even your 70s, um you know, in a, in a kind of more holistic whole, you know, you practice for an hour. We talked a little bit about, you know, your, you know, you're not vegetarian completely anymore, you know, now and again you're eating a bit of uh chicken, you know, and fish, right? I mean, how how mm-hmm. how's is, how's is the yoga, you know, kind of
1: Well, I read spiritual books that I'm inspired to read. I I had a very big uh The deepest core healing through doing um, uh, uh, psychotropics with a a master. Um, I never did ayahuasca, but working one-on-one with someone who was um, highly trained in this. Mm -hmm. And I I had a type of kundalini release that was so profound. Since then, I don't... You know, I might go do a meditation with a friend out at Spirit Rock or something with Jack Hornfield or something. But basically, I don't go out looking for anything. I'm just I, I feel like life is kind of a moment by moment paying attention, living the life. I like I do my best to stay healthy. I read books if I'm drawn. The one I've loved most recently was In Love with the World. Which I have the book here, but I forget his name right now. He's a Tibetan uh, um, man, right. and I just loved it. So I don't—I'm not pursuing in quite the same way. Right. I'm in a different place in my life, and mm-hmm. I do my best. How do I say this? It's kind of just moment to moment, and I do the things like I love gardening, so I do a lot of gardening. I can't teach right now. Everything got canceled.
0: You're still teaching, right? Now, well, I, really I
1: have been teaching. I was supposed to be in Cornwall in Ireland. Oh, really? I was supposed to be in Greystones, Ireland, Hello. and um.
0: And where Uh
1: Cornwall? At uh, Yeah, about uh, Limehouse Yoga. Okay.
0: Yeah,
2: right. Okay. Yeah, Oh well.
1: Really good guy. Really good guy. <laughs>
2: okay. Um, and
1: um, I've been talking to Scott Johnson, trying to work out when I it would work out for me to go to London. I was supposed to go to Germany to Cologne. And all of the, and, you know, it's so weird. The women in Cologne that I teach for at um, Ashtanga Connection, and they, they said, okay, we want you to come back. And so I tried for months. I said, I've never had such a hard time making it feel right. Nothing feels right. Well, in the end, nothing did work because mm-hmm. the whole pandemic came about and everything was canceled. We can't even go any, I think we can fly to Mexico, but we can't even go to Canada let alone anywhere else. So, know, yeah. Can you travel? Can you go?
0: Oh, we can't even go a, a more than a kilometer right now here in France. So, okay. <laughs> you know, you've got one on us there. At least you can go to Mexico. I can I can barely go to buy some groceries. Um,
1: <laughs> yeah, okay. Well, we have more freedom than you do. Yeah, you know do. We're
0: take it really seriously here. Um, <laughs> but, uh, just to, to wrap it up, Kathy, as I always try and keep the format for roughly an hour, um, can you just off the cuff, as it were, let me know? Um, I, Mark, uh, Mark Roberts loved this question. He actually asked for it to be reinstated. What's uh, I stopped doing it? What's your guilty pleasure, and what's an inspiration if you can just think of an inspiration you have? It can be a book, a place, a person, or oh, and uh, one you know, kind of indulgence, let's say, or you know, you know. Yeah. an indulgence. Yeah um,
1: guilty pleasure. Well, I love a little dessert here and there, but I can't. I don't know that that really.
0: <laughs> that's hardly guilt. Enough yeah, yeah. Of a
1: guilty pleasure. Yeah. Um, isn't that funny? Guilty pleasure.
0: Yeah, it's a funny you one, need isn't to be it?
1: Getting I'm a like, pedicure, but I'm, I don't
2: even I'm, do that anymore. <laughs> yeah, okay,
0: that would be something, you know, maybe. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Mark, <laughs> um, Mark, Mark Roberts, for example, said he liked chick fil on Netflix. He like, you know.
1: Oh, your, um, oh, I almost never. That's ever kind of
0: something TV. you kind of like you wouldn't want to admit to, you know, like maybe. Oh, I see. Well, what like, I also admitted to enjoying uh, Emily in Paris and, 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 you know. I
1: haven't seen yeah. Emily in Paris, but we were in um, Ohio without any internet. So we just had to use our iPhone's uh, hotspot, oh, cool. nor did we have TV. So we've just come back. And so we have watched a few things on Netflix and it's been so fun. So for me to even watch one thing, I didn't have a television for 20, 30 years. So really cool. I don't exactly miss it. Yeah. But my, oh, oh, no, I have a guilty pleasure. I love to read novels on my Kindle. And right now I'm reading one from um, Inspector Bruno from the Durgeon, uh written by Martin somebody. But anyway, they're great little mystery stories. I love them. That's my guilty pleasure. And I love that's to have, I have one. Cool. Yeah,
2: absolutely. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That is
1: truly the one that my partner thinks I'm just reading Dribble. And I go, No, I can't tell you. It's so relaxing for me. I enjoy these stories so much. <laughs> and my inspiration, I'll tell you an inspiration I can always count on is being in nature. I love being in nature. And here where I live, I have a gorgeous garden, and we finally got rain. So everything feels alive and wonderful. And that, I mean, there's other inspirations in life, but I would say that. And um, I feel like my whole yoga journey, it's always been a question of balance. How much is too much? How much isn't enough? Where is that place? And I I feel very grateful. Here it is during this pandemic, but life is good. And, um, you know, I have a really healthy partnership and um uh, you know it's not a lot of work it's a, like a pleasure <laughs> and um you know we have enough to eat and right. i have a nice place to live and i feel very grateful quite honestly
0: that's a good note to um to wrap it up with kathy thank you for coming on the Keenan Yeager podcast nice yes. to meet
1: you i hope to see you sometime